I want to start this morning uh, by talking about the resistance, um, or I'll put it in a different language and perhaps you'll get something more of what I mean, la resistance, la resistance. Um, if you were here on Good Friday, then uh, you might have heard me talking about the fact that when I was a kid, a small boy, I was fascinated by stories from the war. I had grandparents who lived through the war and experienced the Second World War. And so I was fascinated. And, and one of the things particularly that grabbed me uh, was the story of the resistance. Um, I don't know if you know what the resistance were, but the resistance, la resistance, were French nationals who, when France was sort of taken over by Germany, was occupied by Germany, they were ordinary men, ordinary women who sought to resist the regime, resist the German forces. And so they would go about their ordinary lives, but then they would gather together in secret, send sort of secret messages, coded messages, gather together, organize themselves to try and disrupt, make life as hard as possible for the German forces. They would cut communication channels, they would disrupt transport lines and packaging routes and that kind of thing. And they would communicate with the outside world, with the allies outside. And so the resistance, if you like, lived within two worlds. They lived in the world of the German forces. That was their sort of day-to-day -day reality. If they walked down the street to get a loaf of bread there, they would see the German forces. And then they had the foot in another camp, a camp of what they perceived to be freedom, liberation. There was the enemy forces, and then there were the allied forces, and they sought to connect with the allied forces. And there was something about this story of the resistance that just fascinated me. I, I loved hearing stories about them. I just thought, you know, these ordinary men and women, but they were brave, they were daring, they were sort of dangerous with a beret. They were everything that I sort of imagined life could be, this sort of exciting adventure. And as I grew up, obviously, I realized that, in fact, their lives were not kind of easy. It wasn't fun. It was dangerous, difficult. Often they were arrested, um, caught, tried, executed for what they did. What has any of this got to do with Trinity Church Nottingham uh, in April 2018? Well, you know, one of the most important things for the resistance, one of the things that was most important to them was not their uh, wire cutters, not their coded messages. The most important thing for them was a radio, a radio. Why was a radio so important for the resistance? Well, with a radio, they could communicate with the outside world. They could communicate with the forces, the powers of liberation, of freedom. And so I used to sort of have this image in my mind of these resistance fighters in the Second World War in France gathered around somewhere, just outside of Paris maybe, in a basement down below, everyone smoking a cigarette as they did back then, and they were listening round to this radio, this sort of very basic wireless they probably built themselves. And they were listening in for messages, for codes, for signals, for word from the outside, anything from the outside, because their day-to-day -day reality was occupied. And if they wanted to know what was really going on, they needed to listen in, communicate, get something, some word from the outside, something that would keep them going, something that would give them vision, purpose, something to go with. Now, this morning, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about God's word, the Bible. And I want to talk about what is the Bible, and why should we read it, and how should we read it, if that's okay. That's what we're going to do this morning. But I wanted to start here. I wanted to start with the resistance for this reason. I wanted us to see that the Bible is, at its most basic level, the most simple level, this book here is quite simply God communicating to us. This book is basically the king of the kingdom communicating with us his 
people, sharing his truth, his reality. And so we've been in this series, this basics series. If you've been here, that's great. If you want to go back and listen to the podcast, I'd encourage you to do that. The basics of Christianity, what is the most sort of, what are the basic blocks of Christianity, where we build our faith from? And we've said that at the heart of Christianity is this claim of Jesus. The kingdom of God is at hand. Johnny just described it as the presence of God. The kingdom of God, the place, the situation, the experience where God is king. And we talked about the fact that right now, you and I, we live in this time between times, this strange point in time where Jesus has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. Can I get an amen? The tomb is empty. Jesus has risen from the dead. The kingdom of God is here. It's close at hand. And it's yet to be fulfilled, to be realized in its fullness. We look forward to that day. Johnny talked about it, where we look forward, where God's presence, God, the experience of God, the beauty of God will fill the whole world. And so you and I, his people, we live in that time between times. We live, if you like, in occupied territory. We live, if you like, as the resistance. Now, I don't know if you knew this morning that you are the resistance, but if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're just starting on this journey, you have entered into a journey of resistance. We live in a time where God is not king, but increasingly we're seeing, every day we see in our lives, experiences where God becomes king, and we know that he's risen from the dead, and so God is king. That's our lives. We live as the resistance. The king is in charge but we live in the middle of this present world. And so what do we need? We need messages from the king. We need to hear from the king. And this book is messages from the king. And so maybe something begins to change when we see that the Bible is simply God speaking to us about his kingdom. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we're told that the Bible is inspired by God, or the better word to use there, the word, the Greek word is God breathed. The Bible is breathed by God. It's full of his energy, his life, his reality. It beats with his heart, it pulses with his self. And so it helps because we begin to see that the Bible isn't there to trip us up. It's not life, there to make life more difficult. It's not there for experts and for scholars, for Hebrew scholars and Greek scholars. Oh, that's great if you do that. It's not even a particularly religious book. It's not for the sort of religious elite. It's a very earthy, down-to-earth book. It's a gift to each of us, God the King speaking to us of his kingdom. And so all we find in the Bible simply is three things. We find pictures of the kingdom, we find people's experiences of the kingdom, and we find instructions about how to live the kingdom. Pictures of the kingdom, just like we've heard this morning. God telling us what the kingdom is like. The resistance when they sat around in that basement, they had to listen in what, is God, what, is the, what are the allies saying? What's going on? Because if you don't listen in, you'll never know. And so God gives us these pictures of the kingdom. This is what it looks like. This is what sex, money, power looks like in the kingdom. If God was in charge, this is what it would be like. It's people's experiences of the kingdom. The Bible is a book that is written by people. It's 100% the work of human authors. And it's 100% divinely inspired. 100% the work of human authors and 100% divinely inspired, God breathed. Now one way of thinking about that is to think of St. Paul's Cathedral maybe, or a great building. If I asked you who built St. Paul's Cathedral, I'm sure some smart aleck like I would if I was sat in the congregation would put up their hand and say, Sir Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral, right? St. Christopher Wren. But if you ask Sir Christopher Wren or Sir Chris as he would be known now, um, if you asked him, you know, did you, 
Did you put that brick there? Did you put that dome up? Was that you? No, of course not. He didn't, he didn't put his hands uh, to the bricks. He didn't mix the mortar. He didn't climb up any ladders. But Sir Christopher Wren is the genius, the visionary that lies behind it all. It could not have happened without him. He put everything in place so that it would fit together. The Bible is like that, written by human authors, human experiences, just like you and I, flesh and blood, wrestling with what it means to live God's kingdom in the here and now, wrestling with what it is to to fight for God's kingdom when everything against you tells you that you shouldn't, to see that, to pray it, to live it, to feel it. That's who wrote the Bible. And so it's songs, prayers, stories. And finally, instructions. What do I, what does my life need to look like? if God's kingdom is real? What does my marriage need to look like? What does singleness look like? What should the church be doing? How should I construct my affairs? How should I go forward in life? Pictures, experiences, and instructions of the kingdom. The Bible then is the king speaking to us of himself and of his kingdom, giving us pictures, people's experiences, and instructions on how to live it. And so we gather round it. We do it as individuals. We do it as a community. We gather round this book. We tune in. We get the frequency right so that we might get something new, something fresh of God's kingdom. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that all sounds very good. This idea that the Bible is uh, God speaking to us of this kingdom, or some people have described it like um, a love letter from God to us. The one who loves us, giving us a love letter. That's all very well. But some of you are like, you know, that's not my experience of reading the Bible. Um, I just don't feel that that's what's there. I don't feel that that's what I'm picking up. Or, Or for some of us, it's like we come to church and we have this experience, this encounter with God. Um, very tangible, very real. He's very present to us. And then the idea of sitting at home on your own, at your desk and opening up the Bible just kind of fills us with this. That's not quite the same thing. Or maybe it's going really, really well and you're loving it and then you hit Leviticus, right? (laughs) Or Numbers or Deuteronomy and you think, oh, goodness gracious me. Is this it? Is this God speaking to me of his kingdom or for some of us there's a more sort of visceral response for some of us when we think about the bible actually there's something in there which is um, if not difficult then maybe even frightening maybe for some of us this book is not a book that seems to breathe life this is a book which is filled with confusion complexity it seems backward Uh, it seems written in an age which is not our age for some of us we think of the bible we think it's Um, predominantly racist, it's going to probably be sexist, it's probably going to be homophobic, it's going to be backward in its views, there's probably going to be quite a lot of violence in there. How do I access this book? If this is a love letter from God, then why does it seem to be the way it is? And so I want to talk a little bit into that. I want to talk about how some of us might access the Bible. Now in the next 15 minutes, I don't have time to address all of those issues, the racism, the sexism, the violence, I don't have time to address all of that. But I was thinking, you know, when those questions are asked of you, I guess the thing is, you reflect on your own personal experience, right? You think, okay, well, how have I accessed the Bible? How have I come to experience the Bible for myself? Um, Now, when I was about um, 19, I was at university, and um, 
it was a time in my life where I began to access the Bible in a whole new way, in a way that I just hadn't done before. Um, God became real to me in a way that he hadn't before. It was life-giving. The Bible turned from words on a page to something more exciting, liberating, engaging. Now, the bit of the Bible I was reading was Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is not an easy book. It's a prophet in the Old Testament, written a long, long time ago. But I found there a way of reading that brought me much life. Now, that's strange because I'd read the Bible lots up to then. I'd grown up in church. I'd read and heard the Bible a lot. I'd enjoyed some of it, struggled with other bits. I loved talking about it and trying to understand it. But there was this moment where it came alive for me. It was about a five, six-month window. So for me, one of the key principles when I was reflecting on this is that of relationship. I'd had this whole life reading the Bible, but there was this sort of five, six-month window, and then from then on, where it really came alive to me. I love the Bible, but like all, in, all relationships, it takes investment and involvement. And there will be ebbs and flows, times when it's very, very difficult and times where it just seems to light up in our life. And as you grow deeper with it, as you wrestle with it, as you go with it, you grow closer to that person until the point you get to where you're unable to separate yourself from them and you're unable to separate it from you. And there's always difficult conversations along the way. It takes a lot of working out. Over time, there's battling and there's argument. There's help and guidance of others needed. There's bits of the Bible that I wrestle with today that I struggle with. But to get to that point where we read the Bible like a love letter from God, it doesn't happen overnight and it's certainly not going to happen in the next 15 minutes, but I'll do my best. When I look back at that time at university, then I was forced to ask, okay, what was I uncovering about the Bible? What did I realize about the Bible? And I think the thing I began to realize was that if we want to read the Bible well, if we want to hear from God in here, then we need to read the Bible with our mind, our body, and our soul. So I want to just say those three things for the next little while. We need to read the Bible with our mind, our body, and our soul. You with me? Yeah. Sound good? Okay, let's go with it. First of all, our mind. I had a friend, uh, it became a bit of an apocryphal story, this, amongst our friendship group. I had a friend uh, called Andy, and he went away with some of his friends. And uh, one of the guys he went away with is a very, very strong Christian. And they got to the airport, and it was um, a cheap flight, so they only had hand luggage. And they had packed everything they had in this hand luggage. And he got to the airport, this guy, let's call him Dave, got to the airport, and he realized that he didn't have his Bible with him. Now he's a Christian. He tried to read the Bible every day, even when he's on holiday. And so he thought, well, I should get a Bible. So he went quickly, rushed to Smith's. And the only Bible they had, funnily enough, was almost identical to this one. Now, if you've packed in everything you've got in your hand luggage, this Bible is not the best Bible to take with you, right? It's quite chunky, it's quite thick, and he literally had no room for it, and the flight was about to board, the sort of, the, you know, final call for the gate, he's wondering what to do, and so this is what he does. He thinks to himself, okay, what do I not need in here, right? And so, quite literally, this guy, it's a true story, he starts tearing out bits of the Bible, Right, he likes Genesis, so that stays. He likes Exodus, or at least the first 10 chapters, so that, the rest of that goes. Deuteronomy, gone. Numbers, gone. Leviticus, gone. He doesn't stop until he gets to Matthew's Gospel, because he knows that bit about Jesus. And he's left with sort of this thin bit of the Bible, and he puts it, he manages to stuff it in to his hand luggage. We're called to read the Bible with 
our mind. And there's bits of it that we would like to sort of get rid of, discard. But we're called, we're encouraged by God to engage with it with our mind. Amy last week talked really helpfully about God guiding us. And she said something there that I love. She said, you know, God gave you a mind. Use your mind. Use your God-given gift to engage with this. Now, hear me right. I'm not saying here that every one of us is called to be an expert. I'm not saying here that every one of us is called to know the Bible inside out, back to front. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that if we just sort of open a page and dive in, it's going to be quite difficult to grasp. And I'm not surprised that for lots of us we think, oh my gosh, I can't really engage with that. That's to be expected. What we are called to do is to begin to understand something more of it so that we can engage with it. And let let me just say this this morning, that we just want to encourage you to do this. And we want to encourage you to find whatever works for you. This isn't about being an expert at all. This is about finding other people you can talk to about it, finding books about the Bible, reading up about it, using, like we all do, using Wikipedia. If you're not sure about something, use it. It's a great resource. Using the internet wisely, of course, talking to other people, but use that to help understand something of the Bible. Just two things I think that are really helpful to understand with our mind as we read it. The first thing is that when we read the Bible, we've got to understand that the Bible isn't one long book written by one person, but it's lots of different books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Have I got that right? Yeah. And, And each one of those books has a different feel, a different character. So a starting place is to ask, okay, when I turn to a book of the Bible, what book is this? Now, when I read Jeremiah when I was 19 at university, I had to begin to ask, what type of book is this? If I read it like a scientific textbook, I probably wasn't going to get a lot from it. And I begin to see that this is prophecy, this is poetry and song, and there's rhyme and cadence to it. And I need to engage with it at that level. The Gospels are different. The Gospels are stories about Jesus. Here's an example. If I wanted to find out about romantic love, if I was interested in finding out about love, there's two ways I could do that. The first way is to go on the internet, Google it, and do some research. And I might find there some scientific papers, you know, about um, the science of love, the science of attraction, about pheromones, or whatever it is. Right, that's one way to find out about love, and that's valid and true. There's another way to find out about love. I go and watch Romeo and Juliet, right? That's another way to find out about love. Now, to engage with either of those things, you need to know what they are. If you try and engage with Romeo and Juliet like a textbook about love, you're not going to get very far. You're going to miss the beauty of it. And likewise, if you go to the internet and you're reading an article about pheromones and you're engaging with it like you would poetry, you're probably not going to get very much from it either. And so part of reading the Bible is working out, okay, well, what is this bit about? And I think sometimes that helps as well with this violence thing. When we read the Psalms, for example, and there's Psalms of violence in there, God, would you strike down my enemies? Would you cast them against the rocks? It helps to understand, okay, what is this? Is this instruction? Is this God saying this is the way you should pray? Or is this poetry, song, somebody praying from the depth of their being, somebody who has been deeply, deeply wronged and hurt? and praying out of that pain, and calling in anger to God. And so God isn't saying there, this is the way you should pray, this is a manual for prayer. What he's saying is, look at that person's experience. Take the anger, the rage, injustice. Take that, pray with it as you would. But am I the sort of God who punishes people randomly just because someone asked me to? No, of course not. That's not the sort of God we see when we begin to understand the story. And that's the second thing. 
begin to understand the big story of scripture. That's what I had to do when I came to Jeremiah. I had to see that this wasn't just one-off thing. This is part of a bigger story of God's people, of his kingdom coming, of him calling Israel and then calling Jesus to fulfill it all. So which is the bit you're reading? Where does it fit into the story? When you dive into the Bible, it's like diving into the middle chapters of a novel. You know, who are the characters? What's going on here? Where does it fit? What's the big story? So we need to read with our mind. The second thing we need to read with our body. If our mind is about what we think, then our body is about what we do. What we do. If our mind is about what we think, then our body is about what we do. In fact, can I just go back one second? I just want to put a line in the sand. Uh, When we talk about reading the Bible with our mind, I just want to put a line in the sand um, that might be helpful, might not be for you. But I I just want to say that, um, I want to stand here and say that I love the Bible. I love God's word to us. And I don't believe that this book is racist. I don't believe that the book is sexist or homophobic. I believe that there's ways you could read it in those ways. I believe you could read the Bible and be a violent person. right? And there's plenty of evidence from history that you could do that. I believe you could read this Bible and draw conclusions that were racist or homophobic or exclusive or tribal. I believe you could. I just think they'd be bad readings. right? And so when we call to read with our mind, what we call is to read wisely as God's people. What is this saying and how does it connect with the character of God? So I want to put a line in the sand this morning. Move on. Okay, how do we read with our body? When I was 19... I was a student, and I used to get up every morning at 7 a.m. and read the Bible. And so I'd get up four hours before anybody else in my home. (laughs) And uh, I'd go, I'd have a shower, uh, I'd come downstairs, I'd make myself a cup of tea, um, and then I'd sit at my desk, the same desk I sat at. I'd turn on my, I can picture it now, I can almost feel it sort of in my body. I can turn on the lamp hear the click of the lamp, I'd sit down with my cup of tea, I'd read the Bible in this version of the Bible that someone had given me that I loved, and I'd had a pad and a pen, a pad and a pen that I loved, a pen that I loved to write with. And it just got me thinking that actually, that was integral to me engaging with the Bible at that time in my life. It wasn't like secondary. And I think for some of us, we get a bit stuck because we think that what God is calling us to do is to engage with the Bible sort of anywhere, anytime, place. And there is something to that. There is something to the fact that we engage with the Bible in lots of different contexts, at conferences or in lecture theatres or uh, around the table with friends or in our threes or in our bigger groups or at church here on a Sunday we engage with the Bible. But what I realised was that actually I think what God is calling us to is to make the Bible a daily reality in our lives and that to do that we need to ground it in our very sort of physicality. Where is it you like to read the Bible? When is it you like to read the Bible? How is it you like to read the Bible? Is there that particular notebook that's helpful for you? Use it. Is there a particular pen you like to write with? Write with it. A particular place, a particular time. And so when I reflect back on that time, I realize that what mattered just as much as my understanding of the Bible was my physical environment and the very sort of bodily ways I was engaging with it. And so read the Bible as you can, not as you can't. Use Bible apps. The Bible in one year is a great app. There's other apps out there. And 
if next year, for the next year, for a year from now, all you've read is a gospel and the Psalms every day, fantastic. In fact, that's better than fantastic. That's amazing. If that's what you want to engage with, then do. I'd say start with Mark's gospel. It's the shortest one. It's, it's pacey. It's quick. Start there. If that's all you engage with for the next year, brilliant. If maybe one day it's just a verse that captures you or a word and you want to just stay with it and sit with it, do it. No one's testing you. No one's going to sort of in a year's time test how much of this you know. Remember that the Bible is there for the king to speak to us of his kingdom. That's what it's there for. It's not for us to pick up lots of information, though lots of that is great. It's not for us to read from cover to cover, though lots of that is great. It's for the king to speak to us of his kingdom. And I think as well, it's for the king to speak to us his kingdom in a daily reality. And so one of the words I would use there is rhythm. The Bible, as I say, is like a relationship. It takes time. And what's important to me in that period of my life was that I found this rhythm that worked. And so each day might be different. It might be that that day didn't feel great. But what if I read it over a week, a month, a year? What if we read it every day for a lifetime? What might that do to us? There's this passage of scripture called the Benedictus. And when I was training to be a vicar, we had to read it every single day. Every single day. Come rain or shine. We did morning prayer. And one of the things we did, we read the Psalms. One of the things we did was we read this Benedictus. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty saviour, born of the house of his servant David. And I remember this, and it's become part of who I am. When we read the Bible every day, what begins to happen is that the Bible isn't something that's out there. The Bible becomes part of us. And there's something incredibly profound that happens when we pray back to God his words. When we find ourselves alone looking for words to pray with and we just reach for that word that's in the Psalms or we reach for that word that's in Jeremiah, wherever it might be, and we pray it back to God. We need to read in a bodily way with rhythm, our physicality, our surroundings, our significant thirdly and finally we need to read with our soul with our soul now the psalm we read at the beginning is psalm 119 and that psalm talks about a longing a hunger and i wanted to for you to hear that psalm and then i wanted you to see that video and I wanted you to see, I mean, it's, it's, what, nearly eight years old now, that video. Ten, it was 2010. But what I wanted you to see was the hunger that they had for Scripture. The hunger that they had to hear from God's Word. It's like, you know, for them, the Bible was nowhere, and yet it meant everything. And so often for us, the Bible is everywhere, and yet so often it means nothing. For them, it was nowhere, and it meant everything. For us, it's everywhere, and so often it means nothing. And I wanted you to see in that psalm the longing, the hunger. But then I wanted you to hear the second reading, Jesus. Jesus, you see, knows this psalm. He knows that the Jewish people, when they read their scriptures, the Old Testament, that they have this longing, this hunger for God. He knows that. And then he gathers his friends, like this morning, he would sort of gather around on a mountain, um, instead of me, think Jesus. And he would talk to them about <clears throat> the kingdom coming. He told them what it would look like when the kingdom comes this is what it's going to look like and he, he says to them you are the light of the world and then he says this Matthew 5 17 do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them it's astonishing 
It's bold. Jesus is saying to the Jewish people, the people of his day, your Bible, your scriptures, this is all about me. It's all about me. I am the key, he says, that unlocks it all. The Bible is about Jesus. And so what we need to be aware of then is the fact that as Christians, we are not people of the book. We are people of the man. We are not biblicists or biblians or whatever we might call it. We are Christians. We don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus. And so the reason we're so passionate about this book is because it's about him. We want to find out about him. We want to hear from him. He is the king speaking to us in that basement. He is the king communicating with us. And so this means that we read the Bible, first of all, through Jesus. Is there a bit of the Bible that's violent? What would Jesus say about it? And he does this all the time, Jesus. You have heard it said, he says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. Turn the other cheek. He's interpreting the Bible. And we have to be part of his story. If we're part of his way, we do the same thing. What would it look like? God doesn't punish his enemies. He goes to the cross and carries himself the weight of that punishment. Don't read violence into the scriptures. Read Jesus into the violence. But there's more here. There's something deeper. And I just want to finish here, I'm going to land. We've looked at what the Bible is, how we read it, why we should read it, but I want to finish here. You see, Jesus knows Psalm 119. He knows that there's a longing for God's word, that there's a hunger. Our soul is about the deepest part of us, the part of us that longs for stuff, the the part of us that drives us forward in life with a goal. And the psalmist says that that goal needs to be God and his word, but Jesus says this, I fulfill that longing. I fulfill that longing. Church, we need to hear again this morning that it's not the Bible that satisfies us. It's Jesus that satisfies us. It's Jesus. He is the lover of our soul. He is the only one who satisfies. He is the only one who gets into those deep recesses of ourselves and satisfies our deepest longings. And so why do we read the Bible? We read the Bible to get to him, to hear from him. We're not reading just to find stuff out. The goal is not more information. The goal is to meet with Jesus. And again, I want to just say it again. It's not to find stuff out about Jesus. It's to meet him. Just as he met his disciples around that lake. Just as he met them around that table. Just as he spoke to that man. Just as he touched that woman. Spoke to them in that way. That's what it's about. Real in that sense. And so we need to have more of Jesus. That's what this is all about. That's why we're here as a church. That's our USP, Jesus and his kingdom his presence and so church perhaps this morning for you is an invitation an invitation again uh, to come to meet Jesus and I don't know where you are up to with the Bible I don't know whether you've read it for a long time or whether this is a new thing for you the encouragement I think is that wherever we come from God gives us a today and he gives us a tomorrow how are we going to read the Bible from now on perhaps for you the commitment is there to be made perhaps for you there's a commitment to okay you know when we first started this church I was reading the Psalms every day I need to get back to that perhaps for you it's I'm going to commit to reading a gospel perhaps for you it's I'm going to I am going to read cover to cover I don't know what it is read the Bible in your way but God gives us the invitation always it's not what's been it's what we are and what's to come what is God calling you to do and the invitation is to meet with Jesus meet him meet him in the pages of this book We'd love to chat to you about it. We'd love to help you out in any way that we can. Let's meet with Jesus in this book. Let me pray and join us. 
Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We stand with those people in Indonesia, the Kimil tribe, and we say thank you for your word, that you would have chosen to bring your word, your truth, your reality into our language. We stand on the shoulders of those who have done the work, who have done the graft, and we say thank you for it, Lord. Make us hungry. Make us hungry for Jesus. Make us hungry to meet with him. And would you open up your Bible, your word, to us again today. Open it up. Where we're stuck, break it down, we pray, Lord Jesus. May we meet with Jesus, each of us, each day, in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.